Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 57. Last week, I worked my way through ancient Egyptian history from the mid-2nd century BC to the mid-1st century. Ruling during this period were Ptolemies 6 through 12, and Rome was gaining influence. Besides the Ptolemies, there were their sisters, wives, and daughters, sometimes two in the same, and all seemingly bearing the names Cleopatra and Berenice. This comes to a head with Cleopatra VII, undoubtedly the most well-known Cleopatra of them all. So much is known about her and her intertwinings with the Roman Empire that I won't be able to make it entirely through her history in one episode. And with that, let's get started. Before she was queen, Cleopatra, more formally known as Cleopatra VII Philippotor, was a princess, the daughter of the king Ptolemy XII. And despite having covered six prior Cleopatras, I failed to mention what the name actually means. The closest in English is the glory of her father. It's thought to have originated with Alexander the Great's sister, so the daughter of Philip of Macedon. At least that would be the first non-deity. There was also Cleopatra Alcyone, who was the wife of Meleager in Greek mythology. Meleager was the leader of the Caledonian boar hunt. Backing up to the last episode, and I apologize as this is a bit redundant, but I purposely saved many of the details for now, as it adds color to what would happen next in Egypt. At the time, Egypt was so in debt to Rome that when Ptolemy XI died in 81 BC, it's thought that in his will he left the country to Rome. At the time, Rome did not want to be that involved in nation-building, but it did give the Romans the legal right to take over the country. Instead, they chose to divide the Ptolemaic realm among the illegitimate sons of number 11. This included Cleopatra's father. In 58 BC, the Romans seized Cyprus, claiming that its ruler, known as Ptolemy of Cyprus, was aiding and abetting pirates. The Romans planned to exile him to Paphos, a city in Cyprus. He instead committed suicide. That Ptolemy was Ptolemy XII's brother. Despite the Romans taking over the island, which was Egyptian territory, and this leading to the death of his brother, Twelve said nothing. The Egyptian populace was already furious at Twelve due to the faltering economy, coupled with high taxes. And this latest outrage pushed them over the edge. All of this led to an internal rebellion. His oldest daughter, Berenice IV, was elevated to the queen and ruler of the country. Of course, this would make Berenice the older sister of Cleopatra and Twelve fled the country with Cleopatra VII in tow. At the time, she was about 11 years old. As a youth, it's thought that Cleopatra was extremely well-educated. Her childhood tutor was Philostratos, probably a scholar at the Library of Alexandria. He instructed her in the typical regiment of public speaking and philosophy. She probably studied at the Masayum, Remember, this was a part of the Library of Alexandria. Up until she became ruler, 
It's thought that the ethnically Greek kings and queens spoke only Greek and governed Egypt as Hellenistic monarchs, refusing to learn the native Egyptian language. But it's recorded that Cleopatra could speak many languages, including Ethiopian, Tragoodite, Arabic, Median, Parthian, and Latin. She could also speak either Hebrew or Aramaic, and also a Syrian language, probably Syriac, and the native Egyptian tongue. This would mean she spoke an astounding ten languages, which seems a little far-fetched. Then again, the actual level of fluency in each would vary, so maybe a little of many and very fluent in a few. My guess would be fluency in Greek, Latin, and Egyptian. The overall point is that she was very well educated and approached the Egyptian people from a new perspective. So, circling back to the history, her father, Ptolemy XII, was exiled. His first stop was Rhodes, then Athens, with his final stop at the House of Pompeii in the Alban Hills, near Palestrina, Italy. This town is about 22 miles, or 35 kilometers, east of Rome. The father and daughter pair would spend about a year there. Then, not finding the support he expected, he and Cleopatra would depart Rome for Ephesus, on the west coast of Turkey. Back in Rome, many lenders were owed money by Egypt, and they knew the only way they would collect would be if he was returned to power. Pompey worked the Senate and managed to drum up enough support for Twelve's restoration. The creditors, along with Pompey, offered 10,000 talents to Aulus Gabinius, the Roman governor of Syria, to invade Egypt and restore Ptolemy XII. The mercenary action may have been illegal under Roman law, not that anyone cared terribly much, at least not yet. Gabinius and his forces traveled by way of Judea to Egypt. Along the way, Antipator, the Idumean, who was the father of Herod the Great, furnished the Roman army with supplies. Embedded in the Roman forces was a young cavalry officer, Mark Antony. In the conflict, Antony would stop Ptolemy No. 12 from massacring the inhabitants of Pelusion on the eastern bank of the Nile Delta. He would also recover the body of Archelaus, the husband of Berenice IV, after he was killed in battle. By doing so, he ensured that the dead military leader received a proper royal burial. At the time of the military action, Cleopatra was 14 years old. She, along with her father, traveled with the Roman military expedition into Egypt. When it was all over and back in Rome, Gabinius was put on trial for high treason, essentially for abusing his authority, all because he was paid to invade Egypt and used Roman troops to do it. He was acquitted, but then tried again. Apparently, they had no protection from double jeopardy. This time, he was convicted of accepting bribes, the 10,000 talents, and exiled. He would spend seven years away from Rome before being recalled by Julius Caesar. Despite the turmoil back in Rome, Ptolemy No. 12 was restored. One of his first acts was to have his daughter and the country's former ruler, Berenice IV, executed. Number 12 allowed the Roman troops, who were mostly Germanic and Gaelic, 
to harass people in the streets of Alexandria. He would largely stabilize the economy, and named his daughter Cleopatra VII and his son, Ptolemy XIII, as his joint heirs. Later, in 52 BC, Cleopatra was made a regent of Ptolemy XII. Number 12 died in early 51 BC, and the country still owed a massive debt to Rome, to the tune of 17.5 million drachmas, and this debt was passed on to the new co-rulers. Now, at this point, I would normally insert a fistful of caveats concerning the converting the value of an ancient currency to a modern one. But, I'm nearly three years into this podcast, and you should know by now that the value I'm about to give you is extremely rough, even on a good day. Having said that, here goes. The current estimate is that the ancient drachma is worth about 50 US dollars. If your currency of choice is something different, and judging by the stats I've seen for this podcast, roughly half of the listeners are outside of US borders, and for those listeners, you'll need to make the conversion to your home currency. If we go with the $50 to a drachma, then 17.5 million drachmas would roughly have the value of $875 million, which, for national debt, seems a believable amount. This is roughly equivalent to the current national debt of the Fiji Islands. Back to Egypt. The first thing Cleopatra did when elevated to the throne was journey to Hermonthes, which was near Thebes, to install a new Bucius bull. This living idol was worshipped by native Egyptians as an intermediary for the god Montu. Similar to her learning the native Egyptian language, this was designed to instill goodwill in the hearts and minds of the Egyptians. But all was not well. The annual Nile flooding was much lower than usual, which combined with the drought, climatic events that led to a famine. At the same time, with the death of twelve, the Roman soldiers were suddenly unemployed and partook in raids and other mob-like actions. By the middle of 51 BC, official documents began listing Cleopatra as Egypt's sole ruler, likely due to her rejecting co-rulership with her younger brother. Now, there is some thought that she had married him, but no real evidence of this, other than this had been standard practice for many generations. But he wasn't gone and maintained strong political relationships with other members of the royal court. Included in this was Achilles, a prominent military commander. Cleopatra would form her own alliances, including with another brother, known as Ptolemy XIV. By late 50 BC, the conflict was still brewing, and it appears that Ptolemy XIII had gained the upper hand as he was signing his name before hers on official documents. Soon afterwards, the relationship between the siblings-slash-co-rulers fell completely apart, a falling out that resulted in a civil war. Meanwhile, back in Rome, Caesar returned from fighting in Gaul. He then forced Pompey along with his supporters from the city. The group fled to Greece. Then, in the summer of 49 BC, Cleopatra's army was battling it out with Ptolemy XIII in Alexandria when Pompey's son came a-calling. 
he made the trip trying to get military support for his father. Surprisingly, the fighting siblings managed to agree to support the fleeing Roman senator. They sent 60 ships and 500 troops. Doing so was enough of a barter to lower the national debt to Rome a bit. But their brother and sister continued to fight each other. Cleopatra would end up losing to her brother and fled from Alexandria to Thebes. Thirteen would continue to fight, eventually forcing both Cleopatra and her younger sister, Arsinoe IV, to flee to Roman-occupied Syria. There, they would assemble an army and prepare to invade their homeland. When Cleopatra's army did arrive back in Egypt, they were stopped short of Alexandria and ended up encamping in the eastern Nile Delta. Returning to events in the Roman Empire, at the same time, in 48 BC, Caesar pursued Pompey in Greece, where their forces fought at the decisive Battle of Pharsalus. Caesar won a major victory where Pompey's army was decimated, in the modern sense. Pompey would flee to Tyre, but he thought this was still too close to Rome, thinking he would be safer in Egypt. He also believed that the greater distance would give him more time to rebuild his army. While Pompey was fleeing to Egypt, Caesar landed his forces in Syria and began a land pursuit. Ptolemy XIII, though, saw Pompey's arrival in Egypt as a threat to its stability, believing it would invite an invasion from Caesar as part of an expanding Roman civil war. Thirteen employed the long-standing family tradition of deception and treachery. He invited Pompey to Pelusion, where the general was ambushed, then stabbed to death in the fall of 48 BC. Foreshadowing. But Thirteen wasn't done in his overture to Caesar. He would have Pompey's body decapitated and his head embalmed and sent by messenger to Caesar. The next month, Julius would arrive in Alexandria, where he stayed at the royal palace. And then something a bit surprising. Caesar was outraged over the killing of Pompey. He also told the fighting siblings to end their war and reconcile. Despite Caesar's request, Thirteen arrived at Alexandria leading his army, clearly ignoring Caesar. Cleopatra initially sent envoys to Caesar, but then traveled to see him personally. When Thirteen learned that his sister was in the palace, um, getting to know Caesar, he came to believe that he was to receive the short end of any bargain Caesar might try to negotiate. Thirteen then attempted to provoke the citizenry of Alexandria into a riot. Caesar had him arrested, then spoke to the crowd, calming them down. Caesar had Cleopatra and Thirteen brought before the assembly of Alexandria, where Caesar revealed the written will of Ptolemy XII. The will named Cleopatra and Thirteen as his joint heirs. Caesar then tried to orchestrate Twelve's two other kids, Arsinoe IV and Ptolemy XIV, to rule together over Cyprus. This would have removed any rival claims to the Egyptian throne. It would also quell a bit of distaste the Egyptians had for Rome, remaining from the loss of Cyprus. Thirteen thought the deal was unfair to him. At least he was consistent. And he knew that at the time, his troops outnumbered Caesar's five to one. 
or in real terms, 13 had 20,000 troops to Caesar's 4,000. 13's troops would lay siege to the royal palace in Alexandria, where both Caesar and Cleopatra were residing. The siege lasted several months into the next year, 47 BC. Early in that year, Caesar's reinforcements arrived, including a contingent led by Antipater the Idumean. Remember, he was Herod's father. The circle of connection is slowly closing. At this point, recognizing he was now on the short end of the stick, 13, along with his sister, Arsinoe IV, withdrew across the Nile. When the siege lifted, Caesar exited the palace and quickly led his troops across the Nile to attack 13's assembled army. 13 attempted to withdraw again, this time fleeing by boat, but it was not to be as the boat capsized in the Nile and Ptolemy XIII drowned. And with that, Cleopatra had a sole claim to the throne. It was around this time that the Library of Alexandria burned, like I covered a few episodes ago. Thirteen's sister Arsinoa was taken prisoner, brought to Rome, and paraded through the streets as part of a victory parade, taking her place in the lineup behind a burning effigy of the lighthouse at Alexandria, the location of her capture. At the time, the Roman custom was to strangle prisoners at the end of the parade route. Remember this last bit, as it will resurface later, in next week's episode. Caesar was pressured to spare Arsinoa, instead having her exiled to Ephesus. Several years later, in 41 BC, Cleopatra urged Mark Antony to have her sister, Arsinoa, executed, permanently eliminating any threat she posed to the throne. And he did, on the steps of the temple in the city. Her murder was a gross violation of the temple as a sanctuary, and proved to be rather scandalous. During all of this, the battle, the imprisonment, the victory of her troops along with the Romans, Cleopatra was seldom seen, which was highly unusual. Why? Well, at the time, she was pregnant with Julius Caesar's child. Backing up a bit, while Caesar was in the besieged Alexandrian royal palace, his term as dictator expired but Mark Antony saw to it that Caesar was re-elected dictator while he was captive. Re-elected dictator. Let that phrase sink in for a minute. His previous term was scheduled to expire in October 47 BC. His re-election conveyed to him the authority to settle the leadership crisis in Egypt. Despite his presumed affinity for the 22-year-old Cleopatra, Caesar was worried about Egypt having a single ruler, so he appointed her 12-year-old brother, Ptolemy XIV, as joint ruler, a relationship sealed with a presumed symbolic marriage. Despite her marriage to her preteen brother, Cleopatra continued to cohabitate with Caesar. Keep in mind that Caesar already had a wife, Calpurnia, who was in Rome. They had no children together, though. Caesar would depart Egypt a few months later, in April 47 BC, but he did not head back to Rome. Instead, he charted a course for Anatolia, likely to confront the king of Pontus, who was proving to be a thorn in Rome's side. 
He would leave troops behind in Egypt, though. Three legions worth. Maybe to keep Cleopatra in power. Maybe to make sure she didn't have any thoughts of independence. Probably both. Cleopatra would have a son in June of 47 BC. He would later be named Caesarean, but he was initially known as Pharaoh Caesar. No denying paternity, even though Caesar never publicly acknowledged that the kid was his. Cleopatra took a different route and made official declarations about his parental status. A little over a year later, so in late 46 BC, Cleopatra and her brother-slash-co-ruler Ptolemy XIV traveled to Rome and stayed in Caesar's home. It's assumed that the infant Caesarean did not make the trip. And remember an episode or two ago when I mentioned that the geographic distance between the two countries kept them out of each other's business? The world had shrunk, and so had their mutual disregard for the other. And the Egyptian leader's visit to Rome was noteworthy in many respects. The co-rulers were, like their father, awarded the legal status of friend and ally of the Roman people. But in this regard, the word awarded is a bit misleading. This was more of the recognition that they were the leaders of a client state. While in Caesar's house, Cleopatra was visited by the senator Cicero, who noted her as being a bit arrogant. A scholar and member of her court, Sashiginus of Alexandria, aided his Roman counterparts in setting the new Julian calendar, which would be put into effect on January 1st, 45 BC. Also, the Temple of Venus Genotrix was established at the Forum of Caesar in September of 46 BC. It contained a golden statue of Cleopatra, which would stand in the same location until the 3rd century AD. And the location of the statue was significant, as it's thought to have shown that Cleopatra, the mother of Caesar's child, was associated with the goddess Venus, who was considered the mother of the Romans. In February 44 BC, while Cleopatra was still in Rome, the Romans celebrated the Lupercalia festival, This celebration was thought to purge the city of evil spirits and therefore purify the city in what was likely a staged performance, maybe to test the citizenry on their acceptance of a king. Antony attempted to place a royal crown on Caesar's head, but Caesar refused. Cicero, who was present at the festival, disdainfully asked where the crown came from a probable reference to Cleopatra in her royal attitude. It all may have been a bit of unintentional foreshadowing, as one month later, on the Ides of March, so March 15th, 44 BC, Caesar was assassinated, stabbed in the back. After his death, Cleopatra remained in Rome for close to a month, attempting to have their child named Caesar's primary heir. But then, his will was read, naming his grandnephew Octavian as the primary heir. Octavian was not in Rome at the time, but was making his way back to the Eternal City. Just as he was arriving, Cleopatra was leaving, heading back to Egypt. When she finally got to the south side of the Mediterranean, 
Cleopatra didn't let the succession opportunity go to waste and had her brother, Ptolemy XIV, murdered so that her son would be elevated to king and co-ruler, which is a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll wrap up Cleopatra and get a little closer to the history when the exiled Joseph, Mary, and Jesus arrived in Egypt. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.